0: Sometimes I ask myself, why do I volunteer for something like this? Uh, why go through the stress? Uh, I want to be honest with you. Um, my life hasn't always been the way it should be. And I said to God here a while back, I said, you know, Lord, I said, if uh, if you present an opportunity, I want to take it. And I'm amazed at times at what God has provided, and uh, tr- through this situation such as today, um, put all kinds of things on my heart and mind, that probably wouldn't have got there otherwise. Um, this started I don't know how long ago I guess probably when I first heard the pastor was taking vacation. and he asked about filling the pulpit, And I said, "Well, I could maybe take one of those Sunday." And uh, God went to work right away. And a week or so after I had said that I would probably take one, I think I could have preached. And it's amazing, though. Uh, Monday of this week, I was all good. Tuesday was good. Friday came, and a voice said to me, Who do you think you are? You haven't got nothing to say. Why do you even do this? And I had all these doubts. And I says, God, I says, take these doubts away. Uh, you, you've given me a message, so I don't want to deal with the doubts. And uh, he did. I want to start out of a story. I'm going to pick on my wife a little bit. Back when we first got married, you know, as young couples do, you want to learn about each other and what each other likes and all that. My wife asked me, she says, okay, what about cake? What do you like? What's your favorite cake? Well, gosh, I says, I think German chocolate would have to be pretty high on the list. Well, so, wanting to please her husband or whatever, she decides to make me a homemade German chocolate cake. And I come home and here she presented this cake and it was beautiful, I mean, this thing was up over the top of the pan in the middle, and I couldn't wait to cut into this thing. I cut a slice about that wide, and then I took about a half a row, and I set it in a plate. Got me a nice glass of cold milk from the fridge, and I'm going to enjoy this cake. I cut a piece, a big piece of this cake, and I my mom Wow. She looks at me, and she says, something wrong? And I says, what did you do to this cake? She said, what do you mean? I said, it's so sour, you can't hardly eat it. And she said, well, I don't know. She says, I followed the recipe just what it said. Hmm. I said, OK, let's, let's go over this. What, what was in this recipe? So she started to list ingredients that were in this recipe. She said, the recipe called for buttermilk. I said, buttermilk? I said, where do you get buttermilk? We don't have no buttermilk. She says, I bought some at the store. So she brings out this box of powdered buttermilk. Okay. I said, what did the recipe call for? She says, it called for a cup of buttermilk. So she says, I poured a cup in and put it in the mix. I said, what? I poured a cup of buttermilk and put it in the mix. I said, you didn't mix it with water? It didn't say that. It just said a cup of buttermilk. Now, I want to ask you, how could a cake look this beautiful, taste that bad? It didn't look like anything like it appeared. Now, the reason I say this story is it fits with what I've got to say today. Uh, Sometimes my life might be like that cake. Looks pretty good on the outside, but the inside might not be that great. Um, If you looked at the title, it says, If All Else Fails, Follow the Instructions. I want to go back, take you back. It's amazing how Sunday school worked this morning. How a lot of things that are in my message was discussed. We want to go back to Genesis Reads the original instructions. I want to start out here. I'm going to skip over the part of creation and all that because I think we know that. But one part I want to add here is in Genesis 1, verse 27. I think this is very important. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. I like that part. We're made to look like God. Uh, God looks like us. I think that that's an important thing to remember. Uh, Let's go to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, to me, that seems pretty straightforward. Um, I read that. I guess I can't. Uh, I don't. You kind of say, "Well, I don't know how you'd misunderstand that." Uh, so, as we read later, that uh, God created Adam a wife, Eve. Because he had no one like him to be his companion. And I'm sure that as they were together, that Adam told his wife about what God had told him about this tree. I'm sure he wouldn't have overlooked that and not said, well, hey, you know, this tree here in the middle of the garden, you know, we better not mess with that. But I want you to look at chapter 3 in the beginning of the first verse. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked a woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit? Eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So right here we know that she knew the consequences for this. Now look at 4 here. We're going to twist this just a little bit. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6 says the woman was convinced. Um, she saw that the tree was beautiful and this fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave same, some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, I don't think any of this thing, none of this surprised God. He knew that this would happen. Um, He made provisions for it. He knew that from the time he created man. He didn't build a fence around the tree, you know, so they couldn't get up to it. He just told them that you shouldn't partake of this and told them the consequences. Uh, Now, you look at this here. Now, let's continue on here with uh, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was a woman. You gave me, who gave me the fruit and I ate it? Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Again, we find out that it's human nature not to take, uh, what do you want to say? Accept the consequences. You want to blame something or someone else for your failure. You don't want to say, well, yeah, I did it. And, and this is what you see here. They, they didn't, you know, it was someone else's fault. Uh, they tricked me. I, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. But all the while that this happens, um, they didn't think about the consequences. they just seen what was right in front of them, and they didn't think about where it might lead. And so many times I think it is the way it is with my life. I failed, and the reason why is I didn't think where this, this seemingly little thing might lead. And, and I think this is some of Satan's trickery. He wants to get us convinced that it's no big thing. It's just a small item. What, it don't really matter. It's our life. We can live it the way we choose. Nobody can tell us how to live our lives, so we need to be able to do that just the way we think is right. So again, we, we find this. How many times we do stuff without thinking about the consequences? Now, I want to tell you a little story. Um, our kids all got married, and, oh, Will and, and Carrie, Carrie got married first, and we took care of pretty much all of the wedding and planning and uh, don't even begin to guess how many things. <laughs> I'm sure all of you are pretty aware of that. Um, but John and Margie, you know, they were kind of on their own. They just done, that. they said, we just want you to come and enjoy. Don't worry about anything. We'll take care of it. OK, well, as some of you know, I have a thing for building clocks. And I didn't want to be any different with my kids. I figured, well, I made everybody else that I got invited to wedding a' clock. I'll make one for my kids. But being that John and Margie, they didn't let us do anything. I said, well, I'm going to make them a little nicer clock. Um, I did something I'd never done before. I ordered a kit. Now That wasn't very easy. Uh, it's got instructions on how to make this thing. And, and you, uh, it's got life-size patterns that you need to follow to cut this, to make this thing come together. You can't just wing it and go out on your own and make it work the way you think it should. If you want it to work like the plan says, you've got to cut all the pieces according to the plan. You've got to put them all together so that it works. Uh, that was very difficult. That was the first time for me that in constructing something that I, I had to follow a plan and I had to follow a blueprint and I had to, you know, make all these pieces. And I, I did get it to come together, but it wasn't easy. Now, uh, the reason I say that is I want, now we're going to jump ahead and we're going to look at a whole bunch of different stories. Now, think about Noah. God came to him and gave him instructions. Uh, These instructions didn't make any sense. Um, Now look at, this is in Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat put the door on the side, and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Now I'm, I think about construction, and I can't begin to fathom how you build a boat like this, because I don't think they had power tools back in them days. I don't know how you'd begin to put this massive thing together. Uh, Maybe wooden pegs and a hammer, I don't know, they must have some kind of saw or something to cut the wood with, but still, this is a mammoth undertaking. And yet, why? What if Noah would have said, well, come on, God. What are you thinking here? A boat this big? What for? We're on dry ground here. What would have happened if Noah would have adopted that attitude? And would have said, this don't make sense, God, so it don't make sense, so I ain't going to do it. Well, you you know what the story would have been. The story would have been... I'm not sure how God would have kept creation going if that would have been the case. But Noah believed God. And, and he said, okay, and he built this boat according to the directions that's written down here. And uh, I think sometimes, it, you know, in life, it brings all kinds of stuff at us that don't make sense, and we wonder why. And we question God, why are these trials coming? Why are, they, why are these things happening? I questioned God. I said, why did my parents have to have cancer? Uh, This don't make sense. Why? Uh, Let's go to Genesis 22. Starting with the first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah, and go to sacrifice him as burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Now, the next morning Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering?" God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son Isaac, uh, kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horn in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. Now, how much sense does that take and make? God asked you to sacrifice your son, the one that He promised you would make a great nation, and and God said, "I want you to do this." How many times has God laid something on your heart that you don't think makes sense? You don't want to do, and you don't know why God would even ask you to do that. Um, I think that happens quite often. And I think the reason is because he just wants us to believe. He, uh, he wants us to, to uh, understand. And he wants our faith in him to grow. Now I want to go on. We're grumping through a lot of stories because I like stories. This is the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Ammonite. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. Okay, so now what part of this instruction isn't clear? He told Jonah where he wanted him to go. He told him what he wanted to do. What did Jonah do? He went the other way. Why do we have the story about Jonah and the whale? You ever think about that? God didn't think no for an answer. God wouldn't accept Jonah's no. Jonah says, no, I ain't doing it. And God says, yes, you are. And he forced the issue. Now, I want to share with you, God has done that a few times in my life. And uh, I guess I'm thankful for that, and yet uh, One of the first times I run into that is when my folks had their 50th anniversary. Sometime along before that, I had, you know, how you are sometimes, that you don't think about what you say. And I said to God, I says, you know, I guess I'd I'd like to have the opportunity if I, you know, to speak a word for you to somehow share your love with the neighbors, my family. God heard that. Uh, sometimes I can think you shouldn't say idle things like that because I I said it, but never really thought that it would have any consequences. My folks' 50th anniversary come up, and I said, I got this all figured out. I'm going to have my cousin Bob, he's a minister, uh, I'll have him come up and speak. God said to Steve Losey, "Well, what about that when you said you wanted an opportunity you wanted an opportunity to speak about me and tell others about your love, my love, and your life. What about that? What, what, what about that you said to me? I wanted to ask Bob really bad. I couldn't do it. Yeah, this happened, you know, a month or so before the time. And then as the time got closer, uh, Marty Schmidt was our pastor at the time. And I said, you know, I can always ask Marty. He'd be more than happy to do this. God says, no, that's not the deal. Don't you remember what you said to me? Don't you remember you said that you wanted to... Oh, here it is. Here's the opportunity. I can't. I I can't stand up in front of all them people. I I can't do that, God. Yeah, but you said you would. I want to tell you, the night of my folks' anniversary coming, this guy was a mess. A total mess. I got back here in the hallway under the baptistry, and I said, "All right, Lord. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here. You put it on my heart. I says you're going to have to give me something because I don't have nothing." I remember standing downstairs at that old wooden pulpit down there and speaking. I'd be honest, and I'd be lying if I told you I remembered a word of what I said. Because when I got done, I didn't—I re- didn't know what I had said. Never had a clue. About a month later, I was out to Dad's, and Dad says, "You want to watch that anniversary tape?" He says, "I had Richard record it." I said, "Well, I don't care." The strangest sensation I ever had in my life was sitting there. Watching myself talk. And as I watched, uh, this, well, the picture says this is me, but this isn't me. It, God, it was God. God give me, He honored that and gave me something to say. Now, here's a question that God put on my heart for you and for me. How many times has God put on your heart to speak to someone or to say something? How many times have you said no? What would your life look like today, and how many lives would have been affected and changed if God would have said, I ain't taking no for an answer? Tell me. Think about that. The different times that God put on your heart to share with someone, and you said, I can't do that. What if God would have said no, you're doing it? This is questions that God put on my heart. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't like the answer to that. Because I don't know what God might have done if I would have just had enough faith to believe that God will give me something to say. Now, I want to share this, because I think this is the answer. This comes back with youth group kids. This comes back to when Steve Losing was a teenager. I went to Crystal Springs camp one year. And for whatever reason, I bought this here Bible at the bookstore. They had a, like they do if you was ever to Crystal Springs, they have a a bonfire night. And they start with a nice fire, and then they let it burn down to coals. And then they ask kids to just come up and share something that God has done. And when you do that, you put a board on the fire. Next thing you know, this fire is huge again, and that moved me incredibly. And I just, you could feel God, you could feel his presence there. And I remember so well, I got back to the camp, got back to the cabin, got up on the top bunk, and I said, you know, Lord, this is really great. I love being here amongst all these Christian people, but I said, what am I going to do when I get home? I said, my friends aren't Christians. They're going to laugh at me and make fun of me. How am I supposed to deal with that? Huh. I picked this Bible up, and I plopped it open. I didn't look for anything in general, because it's a brand-new Bible. I'd never read it before. It falls open to Isaiah 51, verses 7. Listen to me, you who know the right from wrong, and cherish my laws in your hearts. Don't be afraid of people's scorn or their slanderous talk. For the moth shall destroy them like garments. The worm shall eat them like wool. But my justice and mercy shall for, last forever and my salvation from generation to generation. What, what's keeping us back? What, what is holding us back from sharing God's love with our family, with our friends? What, what is, is it this here? Is it what I just read to you? That I'm afraid, you're afraid of what people are going to say, what, how are they going to think, what are they going to do? Because, hey, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. He, he means a lot to me, and I want to share him with you. But does this come up? You're afraid of what they might say, afraid of what they might do. We need to get over that. God says, oh, I need to get over that. But I think that this goes back... Uh, it, it, it's been hampering all of us since the creation of man. We're, we're more afraid of what people will say than we are afraid of the consequences and, and thinking about what we're going to say to God someday. What, what are we going to say when we stand before him and he asks us what we, why do we miss these opportunities? Um, like I say, I think that this goes a long ways. And it it is the core of a lot of things, What? problems that I have, maybe problems that you have. Now, I want to finish with this. My father died in 1999. (laughs) The wood shop was his workplace. He would go out there in the morning at, 8 9 o'clock, and this is even after he had gotten cancer and gotten sick. And he'd stay out there and he'd do a little odds and end the project. He'd come in for lunch. He'd spend an hour or so with mom and he'd go back out there and he'd be back out there again until 4.30 or so and then it's a the day, and kind of like you punch the time clock and you put your time in, and now I can come back in the house. This went in on, I know many times because I was out there and seen it. You know what I wanted most of all from my father? My father passed away, he was a very quiet man, didn't say a lot. He's got all kinds of things in the woodshop there, even to this day, that he made to use for different jobs. But I wasn't there when he used them. So I don't know how they worked, and I don't even know what some of them are for. And I looked around that woodshop and I said, maybe he left something here for me somewhere. Maybe there's a pad of paper with something written down Maybe there's some place where he just said, I love you, son. I look for this, this is something I wanted. I don't know, as I was thinking about this sermon and that come to mind, something else come to mind. A voice says, I'm your father, I wrote a book for you that tells you how to get through life, It gives you instructions, that tells you how much I love you. It's all down here in this book. Have you read it? You want to figure out how to do something? Have you looked in the instruction manual? Have you read what it says? Now I'm gonna ask you a very pointed question. Do you have a Bible? I know everyone's saying, yes. Yeah. Okay, next pointed question. If I took your Bible and I tore the covers off of it in the front where your name might be written. And we just put them all in a big box. Could you go in there and pick your Bible out? You say, well, what kind of question is that? A very pointed one. When you pick this Bible up, and I think some of you ladies are really good at this, and I think a lot of us men aren't. How many times when you read this, does something jump off the page? That God says something to you, go, wow, I, I've read that before, but I've never seen that like that. And you put your Bible away, and that's it. And then three months from now, you go, well, what was that passage that God gave me the other day? I, I can't remember where that was found. What happened if at the time that God gave you this message, you got out your pencil or your ballpoint pen, and you went, And you underlined it. And you go, oh yeah, I know where it is because I underlined it. It's right here. I can find it. Now you say, what is the importance of that? Twofold importance. One thing is that when you're having a bad day, you can go back to that. And you can pick it up and you can read it again and go, well, this is what he said to me a month ago when I was going through this. Something else that you don't think about. I thought about my parents. I thought about us as grandparents. What do you want to leave for your kids? What do you want to leave for your grandkids? What is the most valuable thing you could leave them? It isn't your ranch. It isn't your house. It isn't your bank account. It's what God has done in your life. How are they going to know that when you're not here? How are they gonna know what was important to you when you're gone? This is my mother's Bible. This must have been important to her because she underlined this. God must have spoke to her here because this is double underlined. This has got a red outline. And this becomes a cherished hand-me-down that your kids can read and they might pass it on to their grandkids. And this living word of God continues on. All because you took the time to underline what God said to you at the moment. You see what I mean? This is so, this all came in the last month where God beat me up, and even last night when I was trying to sleep. This is that important. This is what life is all about. This is the instructions. This is how we get through things. I had to go to a mechanics class, and they pay this guy a high dollar to come and teach us how to fix Waukesha engine. He says, you know what? He says, when I get called to a place that has a problem with an engine, he says, the first thing that I do when I get there, is I ask them to see their shop manual. And He says, if they bring me a shop manual out of the file cabinet that's still in cellophane, you know there's a problem. He says, if they bring me a shop manual that hasn't got a bunch of greasy fingerprints in it, you know there's a problem. Okay. How much fingerprints is in your shop manual? How much are in mine? There's not enough in mine, I know, and I'm going to go just try and alleviate that. Because I think that's important, because God wants to speak to us through this shop manual. That's what I got on my heart today. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your instructions. And I thank you, Lord, that you made a way for when we mess up on instructions through the forgiveness paid for by your son, Lord. Lord, that you know that we're going to fail. And Lord, that's why the forgiveness is there so that we can start over, that we can try them instructions again. That we can say, Lord, help me to do it right the next time. Father, I ask, Lord, that you might give us the boldness, Father. That we might put away this worry about what people think and what they're going to say, Lord. That we, we might get rid of that, Father. That we might be able to live for you and, and serve you in such a way that people might see that your love might radiate out of our lives. Because, Lord, that's what attracts people to you is the love in your, that we have in our hearts. So, Father, enable us give us that desire father to to share your goodness love the hope father that we have in you lord and i just thank you so much again father for this book lord this this instructions that that uh, tell us how to get through all of life's problems and 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 tell us lord that when it's all over father that you prepared a place for us that we couldn't ask for anything more so father just Enable us to take your message beyond these walls, Lord, to carry it with us this week, Lord, that uh, others might see you living in us. For ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Times I ask myself.